Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung, and class is now in session. based on the police force in South Korea. It was written by No Hee-kyung, and No Hee-kyung is one badass bitch. She's been writing Korean drama since the, since the late 1990s. She's written uh, over two dozen Korean dramas. Uh, a number of them are critically acclaimed and they won prizes and they had high ratings she's worked with a number of a-list korean celebrities including hyunbin including song Hye-kyo, including kim hesu baeyongjun kim gapsu um she's she's worked with very very um massively talented uh oscar winning actresses like yoon yeojung um she's worked with mega godmother like status actresses like Kudushim. Um she is a very very talented Korean drama writer and I would say she's probably one of my favorite K drama screenwriters. I I genuinely love her screen her screenplays because they are uh, always um centered on female complexities. Uh women who have very um strained relationships with their own mothers and that which lead like it that wreaks havoc in their love life or in their professional life um you probably will recognize some of her shows like uh it's okay that's love that's a big one with twins hung and uh kong hyojin that's probably one of my favorite korean dramas that she's written um she's also done that very bizarre Japanese um, drama remake called um, In the Winter That Wind Blows that also had Choin Sung in it, but Song Hye-kyo was his co-star. Um, so she she's very versatile. She kind of plays around with some of the campy weird stuff like Padam Padam. That was like a weird campy fantasy drama that was also very much infused with heavy realism for a masculine protagonist. Um, it, 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 so I, I I don't know like she's really hard to sort of pin down and say like this is this is who she is you know, because she's done such a diversity of shows and I appreciate her for that but the one consistent through line with No Hee-kyung's Korean dramas is again it's about um, complicated relationships with mothers so that whole thing is like it's almost a constant theme in all of her shows so you'll definitely see that um and it's very appropriate that we're talking about um no Hee-kyung and mother obsessed screenwriters because the guest for today is also a a screenwriter who is obsessed with his mother even though he probably wouldn't come right out and say it uh, but it's apparent to all of his friends um, including myself uh, Shin Ho Lee is a very dear friend of mine he is a very talented screenwriter um, he is probably most 
most renowned for co-writing the Korean screenplay for the film The Chaser, which is directed by Na Hong Jin. And uh, I remember watching that movie when I was um, just out of college and I was living in Seoul, Korea uh, as a Fulbright researcher. And I, I remember seeing that movie on TV and I remember being scared for my life every single time I went outside to walk in the dark. Like that movie scared the shit out of me. Um, and Shinho is very much like a thriller action kind of screenwriter, although he's also done some romantic movies as well. Um, but he's a really interesting person. I always enjoy having conversations with him. He's got a lot of great insights. Uh, he was generous and kind enough to even show up in one of my classes and be this guest speaker for my students at one point. And, um, you know, I actually just had dinner with him two days ago here in New York. I'm still here in New York. Um, I am also going through this weird sort of uh, reckoning right now. I, I, I don't I don't know what else to call it other than a reckoning because uh, whenever I come back to New York, I sort of go through this phase where I'm like um, re sort of re-examining my whole life and where I am and um, what I'm doing and it's it's a weird time for me at the moment because um, I I am finished with my PhD. I am done with my dissertation, so I am officially uh, Grace Jung PhD. But there are zero jobs in the arts and humanities, right? All the money is still going to STEM, and that has been the case, and it continues to be the case, and it is far worse given the pandemic. But I was definitely dealing with this sort of spiral, um, and this is a spiral that every single artist goes through and they go through it you know I mean several times in their lifetimes I would say and you know I was just sort of at this point where I was kind of questioning everything I did I was questioning all my decisions I was questioning all the work that I did as a writer as a comedian as as whatever you know and and as an academic I was questioning all my decisions but then when I went to New Jersey on Monday to meet up with a couple of my childhood friends and seeing how they have houses, they have husbands, they have children, they have pets, I was just looking at their lives and I was just like, wow, this is so foreign to me. And this is so, so much the kind of life that I never, ever would want in my present day. I mean, Kudos to them for getting that because that is the typical American dream, right? Getting a home and a family and a dog. But I can't imagine myself doing any of those things because my happy place is being on stage. I mean, that's the most important thing for me. But yesterday I met up with an, a dear old friend of mine named Vong Pak. If you guys don't know who Vong Pak is, I would say Google him, get to know uh, get to familiarize yourself with New York City performance art history. He's a street performer. He's a changu player. He's a Korean drummer, uh, drummer, and uh, a traditional Korean drummer. And he's, you know, he he was sort of being the street performer since the late 1990s. And he teaches traditional Korean drumming to students. And you know, he's very beloved in the in the New York community, the New York art community, as well as the New York Korean American community. He is known in the Korean community. And yet when I met up with him 
yesterday to have dinner, I saw that he was struggling, you know, with self-doubt, with plagued by voices of criticisms that came from other people and not from himself. And I, I was just like, well, I mean, this is the artist's way, right? It's constantly being told that what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing doesn't matter. What you're doing makes no sense. But that is why artists are supposed to be artists because they're not supposed to make sense. You know, in, in the world, the way it is, we're not supposed to make sense. We are freaks, all right? We are fucking animals and gods. We're nothing like these Jersey bitches with their houses and their kids and their dog and their whatever. We're not like that. We're supposed to be alone, fully recognize that, uh, accept that and appreciate that, and focus only on the art. I mean, that clarity just came to me very, very vividly recently. You know, as I was walking from the seven train back to this apartment, I was just like, what is my priority? My priority is comedy. No relationship to any person in my life will ever come between me and comedy. And what is that? What is that? It's like my relationship with a bunch of strangers in the audience. I mean, that is what I am prioritizing over a spouse or a child or a dog or a parent or a friend. And that will always be the case. I mean, at least for now, that is definitely the case for me. And, you know, I'm not in a relationship at the moment by choice. And I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm open to being either alone or with someone. Either way, I will probably not tell the person if I ever end up with them. I will probably not tell them that they're going to be secondary, but they will be. They will be secondary to my craft always because I know who and what I am. And I realize that the importance of an artist's community is precisely these kinds of moments, these kinds of uh, ruptures when we are shook by society and capital and the way that everybody around us dictates how to live, which is to chase money, to chase the dollar. And you know, like I remember even when I wrote my first book, I, I was 22 when I started writing my first book and I was 24 or 25 when the book came out. But I remember um, people around me just asking extremely insensitive and personal questions about how I'm making money off of that book. You know, and if you're not an artist and if you go around asking those kinds of questions to artists, I'll tell you right now that that is very, very rude and it's lame because that's none of your business and also that question is irrelevant how do you make your money as an artist it is the most irrelevant question to an artist because to an artist what matters is the process the final work doesn't even matter to an artist the process is what matters to an artist the millions and millions of thoughts and feelings that they struggle through as they're creating something new that is the meaning for an artist not the final product the final product in and of itself can destroy itself it can go away and being able to let go of that is a sign that that artist has fully encountered um, and come to terms with the fact that they are going to die right so um i i 
just the, the last two weeks was very challenging for me, but I'm glad I went through that challenge because I learned two very, very big lessons. The one big lesson is that I got to understand my mind a little bit better. Um, the last uh, two weeks was difficult because I had this voice inside my head um, that was telling me that my work was um, insignificant, meaningless, and worthless. Um, that voice was telling me that I made all the right, all the wrong moves in my life, and that I deserve more. That I I deserve more. I should be recognized, and I should be compensated more. I mean, these were all very toxic and horrible thoughts, and words that I myself don't say to myself. And I don't say those things to other artist friends of mine, but it was in there. And it was particularly loud these last two weeks, and I was wondering why, and I realized now why. It's because I picture locked my movie, uh, The Colorist finished it yesterday, and everybody around me is saying congratulations on picture locking your film, congratulations on making your first short film as a director. I submitted my dissertation two weeks ago, and Everybody around me is congratulating me for completing my doctorate degree. If and when these kinds of negative voices get loud, it's only loud because the good voices are also happening at the same time, right? And, you know, depending on who your parent was and what kind of environment you grew up in, um, that negative voice and its sense of permanence will, will vary. And I... I'm constantly battling those voices inside my head. And I, I realize now that whenever those voices get very loud inside my head, all it means is things are going well for me as an artist. It means that I am succeeding, if not on the path to success. That's the only reason why those voices get loud. So I was able to sort of understand and learn something about myself in a very profound way very recently. And I realized also the other reason why I needed to go through this the last two weeks and have that recognition on Thursday is because by Friday, I was meeting up with this old friend of mine, Vong Pak, who's very accomplished, and he was going through the same thing. And I had to just tell him, right, not to listen to those voices, those criticisms that unfortunately come from the closest people around you, your family. He had been struggling with that for four years. I mean, four years of hell, just wandering, you know, a sense of loss. And I just spent, I mean, we spent several hours together just talking and just supporting each other, just giving recognition to each other on all the good that we accomplished. And sort of looking back on the last 10 years together as friends and sort of taking the time to just say, oh, remember when you did this, remember when you did that, you know? This is why I admire you. This is why I love you. This is why you're great. And, you know, we forget that, even though we're the ones who made all that good shit happen. So, I don't know. And a lot of this stuff comes up again in my discussion with today's guest, Shinho Lee. Um, so yeah, I mean, take take the time to really let those words sink in. If you're an artist, if you're an academic in arts and humanities, and you're constantly struggling with self-doubt, self-criticism, imposter syndrome, just know that if those voices get very, very loud in your skull, all it means is 
good shit is all around you right now. And you have a choice to either give in to those negative voices or to let in the supportive and nice compliments that are coming your way from the people around you. And I say choose the latter. I think from New York to Berlin to LA, that messed you up. <laughs> All the time. The world is... Yeah. What is it going to be one time zone? <laughs> but um, it was so wonderful having you in our class. Like when you came uh-huh. in as a guest speaker, I was like, man, like they're so lucky. They got a real live fucking screenwriter, you know, for Korean <laughs> TV and movies to talk to them. They're so lucky, you know, like, and I think they appreciated it too. Like they were like really oh, fascinated by the things that you said. And like, mm. especially when you were talking about like all the Han stuff, I was like, oh no, here we go. And like, <laughs> they, they were like eating it up. They loved it, you know? Mm. Uh, so the week after, and the week after that, like I did talk about um, Han a little bit, you know, mm. like contextualize it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny, like Han almost becomes like this thing where we get to kind of excuse anything and like among Koreans. It, it's, an, it's an excuse for extreme cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Man or woman don't matter. Don't matter. Yeah. It's like, why are Korean movies so like intensely gory and like misogynistic oh because of han oh exactly <laughs> or why, why is all daughters-in-law crazy han, oh, it's the han. <laughs> why are all the mother-in-laws so mean oh it's the han exactly why do they um... so much it's the han <laughs> exactly and then like but they, there's no limited things right like uh it's so extreme that like there's no nothing stopping them, right? Yeah. Han, Han. <laughs> Do you think that um, that that sort of becomes like this crutch then almost like because like if if that becomes the reason or the the explanation for everything and anything that's like quote unquote wrong with Koreans, right? I th- I think um, <clears throat> like a similar comparison might be you know when you watch French films, mm-hmm. like a, they have like a sort of their ideas of sexuality is like way out there sometimes, mm-hmm. like a lot of times actually. Are you, t- so, are you basing this on um, French films or French people? Both. <laughs> so if you if you if you apply like a American standard to them, yeah. like a, everything is incorrect in a way. We're right? like we're like pilgrims, like, right? We're like Quakers <laughs> in petticoats compared to the French. So, so if you watch movies like Elle, right? Like a she. Mm gets raped in the beginning of the film and then she mm-hmm. finds who's done it and then mm-hmm. she likes it that's fucked up yeah that's fucked up <laughs> americans cannot go there no but what was more fucked up about that movie is not mm-hmm. only that but that in the end everybody knew mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and everybody it's just like everybody was like okay with it it's like a her choice her choice also the <laughs> wife like the wife knew i know right and the the guy that she was banging, like his wife, also knew that she like they were having an affair. Like everybody just was like accepting the fucked upness of these like messed up marriages. 
It's like a Pubu'e Sege, like season 10. Oh my god, Pubu'e Sege is so intense. But like, also hilarious. I think the flaw is, um, I mean, we use Han as an excuse to take characters to the extreme places, um, whoever they are. But compare that to Dr. Foster. Mm. Like, uh, what I liked about Dr. Foster was that it really captured the middle-aged women's like sort of uh, mentality and psyche and then like and the shoes she was not in it's just, just in a small town mm-hmm. you know like a, nobody's really crazy wealthy and then she, mm-hmm. she's exploring her sexuality again all those things were like sort of mm-hmm. about her but then mm-hmm. in Hege, like a camera became the misogyny yeah so it's like a torture session really mm-hmm. so it got exhausting because of that and also mm-hmm. Uh, you, I really believe this. Maybe I'm too Americanized, but I think for that way of storytelling to work, you got to have a humor with it. Otherwise, it's just too much. It is. It's like uh, that show Penthouse, which is extremely, it's like makjang times a billion. It's like makjang on turbo drive. And it's hilarious to watch. And they're all in on it. They all know how ridiculous it is. Like you could see in the actors' faces how ridiculous it is. The writer knows how ridiculous it is. Director, everybody's in on it. And it is, it's, it's still exhausting, even though, you know, they're in on it, but it's entertaining, you know, like, it's like when I'm like out of things to watch and I'm like, I just need something kind of like to clear the head to numb me out. I'll watch that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with Eugene from SES. <laughs> <laughs> but then the korean tv shows like each episode is so long yeah they are so long but the series um they don't have like a good zillion seasons i mean now they kind of do but even with like um that penthouse series like the writer i mean she does like long like like 175 episode kind of like series you know so what they i guess this one they broke it up into seasons but essentially yeah, even, even Anne Yuhok was like uh, over 50 episodes i guess and then but then each yeah. one was only 30 minutes but they were running the show like every day during the week it's mm-hmm. like uh it's too much yeah <laughs> but what do you call the everyday dramas the serial um yes yeah i was um doing some like research on that because for my next book i want to write about korean dramas and like just some basic theory some basic historical context and uh, i'm reading up i'm slowly starting to read up on it and get into the research and it's just like interesting how you know korean the korean television industry had to invent programming and conceptualize programming conceptualize what a tv show is like the very first tv drama was like a theater piece, you know, like um, just one camera, single camera, just still frame, <laughs> you know, just going at it. And I was, that's, you know, they had to evolve and adapt and make it into something. And um, I don't know, like, I, I mean, how, how much, like, I don't know if like, you know much about Korean drama history, but like, do you have any idea when um, Korean dramas like made this, like 
more certain step towards like female driven narratives or female viewership focused narratives like when did the producers and programmers say oh okay tv tvs are in the domestic space they're watched by women who are in the domestic space they're like i don't know like 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 removing kind yeah. of you know thing while watching tv you know um and then they figured it out so they're like okay let's put more women driven narratives in you know like did that happen like in steps similarly to how america was doing because america went through the same kind of eureka moment and realized like tv is a domestic thing i, I think know. uh based on all the tv shows that i watched when i was little mm. like uh, 80s 90s mm -hmm. um one thing for sure is that Korea had a very strong daytime soap tradition. Mm -hmm. So we call it like Achim Drama, morning mm -hmm. soap operas. So uh, those are the shows that like uh, Korean housewives used to watch. I mean, they mm -hmm. still have them. Uh, and then that's why if you look at, you know, Korea has like a, airs like a episodes like twice a week, usually, mm -hmm. right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday, Saturday. So the weekend slots are the most popular slots because everybody's home or could be. Mm -hmm. um, but during that time, um, I remember seeing more TV shows about, not just about like a domestic issues told from women's point of view, but also uh, historical dramas or like mm -hmm. a, like a stories written by men or directed by mm -hmm. men, you know, like a, mm -hmm. their mixture of things shown in the evenings, mm -hmm. but then daytime soap was all about women, mm -hmm. mothers, mothers-in-laws, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it's like a Korean version of like a general hospital. That's mm -hmm. that sort of thing, right? Like a mm -hmm. makjang, right? Like yeah. literally. Yeah. Uh, but what changed, I think, like, uh, I'm not sure how accurate this assessment is but uh, when women more women started working mm -hmm. i think after uh 97 uh, big recession in, in asia that actually drove more women to workplaces uh similarly in america like uh, after the great depression right like a uh, more women had to work mm -hmm. um and naturally because the viewership dropped during the day because of course more women are now at work Mm -hmm. Um, so they brought more of those makjang dramas into those like a uh, prime evening slots, uh, I think, I think that's what happened. That makes sense. Yeah. Logically. Fascinating. Mm. Yeah. When you were, um, I mean, I know you were trained in the States, but like when you were, um, I mean, this, is this your first TV show that you're working on or have you worked yeah. on other? I mean, I worked on like a, like a, you know, like a pilot and a Bible, things like that here and there. But right. this is actually the first one I'm actually writing it. Like the yeah. first K drama that you're writing. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, do you have to get into a different frame of mind for this, or? I think um, on a daily basis, or like whenever I have meetings, um, I am actually dealing with the misogyny in a way. Um, like, uh, I realized how male driven still everything is in what aspect that's interesting because the story I'm working on is based on a film script I wrote before, mm 
uh, it's a female-driven action film. Mm -hmm. So all the settings and the main plots involve the life around this female character. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I have to expand the scope and then you know, expand her world, and then by creating more characters in the subplots. And then, of course, there is a love interest in the original material, and then I had to sort of like push that more to create the bigger presence, right? Like, a, mm -hmm. like the bigger male presence, mm -hmm. because they want to sort of uh, cast like a big name, main, like a male star, uh, to justify the budget mm -hmm. of the series, even though um, the setting itself, uh, like a, I still think it should be done, uh, you know, from the female protagonist's point of view. Um, but I still have to somehow find ways to accommodate it. Mm. So it's challenging in a way that like sort of uh, fundamentally, uh, had I known this condition, probably mm. I would have picked different story or different premise. Um, mm. I don't think uh, they're as daring as they want to be, mm -hmm. uh, especially like in the or channels, they still want to see more uh, bigger, big name uh, male actors uh, to play the big roles because they still believe that that brings bigger uh, viewership. Right. Rather, I mean, yeah. I mean, and you would know like that there is some truth to that. Not to say that like a bigger name will equal a successful show because I mean we've seen I don't know like Mr. Sunshine. <laughs> right. <laughs> They, it had all the elements. Yeah, it should have worked, but yeah. it wasn't good. Uh, but yeah, like, so you think more daring would have been like casting, like an up and coming younger, maybe no name kind of person, rather than a big name and sort of giving giving that female, the the actress essentially some more screen mm. presence, more commanding presence. You think by not having her overshadowed with a bigger name. I will compare that to Hollywood blockbuster films. Even though we started seeing more female-driven action flicks, uh, it still is very much like male-dominant genres. Yeah. Like considering how old uh, the first movie Alien was, um, we yeah. still haven't reached that point yet. Actually, even in America, like even Sicario. Remember Sicario? Yeah, yeah. She, she was a fake protagonist. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Benicio del Toro dominated that movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but they but kept she... promoting it in the marketing as like I mean, they said that exactly. she's the star. I was like, no, she isn't. So, uh, so I would say it's quite similar still in Korea, and I think um, it's unfortunate. But I think uh, even the creators and producers and the people that are on the creative side uh, might want to try different things or want to go for this. I think the the investors and the money people, like the people who bring money in, like. They're sort of fixed. Their ideas are sort of fixed, in that sense. Uh, so it's hard yeah. to sort of um, try new things, especially when the budget is high and the, when the risk is, risk factor is uh, bigger, especially. Yeah, I think with these things, it's oftentimes always going to be a negotiation, right? Because mm -hmm. it is a lucrative business when it works. It is, and um, and it's exciting and fun. You know, who doesn't like being a part of the industry? You know. Um, people hate it when it's bad and stressful, but when it's great, everybody loves it, you know? Um, but like, I don't know, in terms of like daring or in terms of like innovative, like w 
what do you envision for Korean dramas, like for Korean television? I would still, I still believe that actually, um, like if you look at the uh, like a, a history of Korean cinema, mm -hmm. uh, for instance, um, there's always like that, you know, like a like like big hit, you know, once mm -hmm. in a while that involves like a very strong or interesting female characters. Mm -hmm. Like uh, starting with Shiri, starting with, uh, and then like uh, my sassy girl, you know, mm -hmm. and the uh, and the uh, uh, Lady Vengeance. Like there's always like sort of like specific female character that seems to sort of like uh, put us in a sort of take us to the different place, right? Like somehow like a uh, mm -hmm. like a the kind of female uh, characters that we haven't seen before, rather. Okay. Um, but TV, you say, I think it's... I mean, you don't think that Park chan movies are, even though he has female protagonists, you don't think they're misogynistic? They are. But then, but the thing is, not having them at all versus like start seeing them, hmm. we're onto something, right? Okay. Like, uh, so maybe the new generation of like uh, directors, like, hmm. like the next Park chan might have mm -hmm. a different spin on it or mm -hmm. we might see female Park chan in the future who knows right mm -hmm. so um i think um even the society changes so rapidly uh i think uh those trends or like tendency mm -hmm. right that changes rather very slowly uh i think that's quite similar everywhere i think in general um for the dissertation that i'm writing as you know i'm writing about korean variety shows and you know television as you also know is like for the most part gendered female you know um, even in academia like serious academics would study cinema film you know and then the wacky weirdos who like to do fun stuff want to look at television or like instagram posts and write their dissertation on that so I was kind of looking at the trend, like in terms of Korean media studies, and there was a lot written about Korean film already. There's already a big book about Korean masculinity and cinema. And then I was like, all I did throughout graduate school was watch like 50,000 hours of Korean variety shows. And I was like, why isn't anybody writing about these forms of masculinity? You know, like weird forms of masculinity. It's like, crying men on a comedy show exhibits mm -hmm. Korean nationalism. Like that's <laughs> fucking crazy, you know, like, it's like, but that's something to look at. And I was just kind of thinking through this and I got some notes from my, um, my professors as well. And they were just like, you're looking at in, uh, the TV industry, which is gendered hierarchically as masculine. It's male dominated, right? As you also observed, the decision makers are men. Yeah, we have a lot of women as the writers. And even in variety TV shows like the Chakadir, quote unquote, they're more or less production assistants. They're all women, like literally like 99% of them are women, you know? And I would ask them over and over again, I'm like, why are they always women? And they were like, well, the work that we have to do as like variety show writers is we have to mostly interview the subjects and get their approval. We have to talk to, they have to be like location scouts, you know, like they do so much emotional labor, human to human engaged kind of work. And so in that, in that sense, it is gendered female, but the hierarchy is masculine. 
the mil like the industry very much mirrors the military industry, the military industry complex. And in that sense, it's very masculine. And I was just kind of like, oh, like these kinds of like gendered kind of, you know, dynamics is like, it's kind of mixed up, messed up. And yet it's still segregated, which is bizarre to me, you know? And I was just like, when is it going to become more cohesive? Like, when are we going to see more female PDs, for instance, you know? And then that leads to like a typecasting as well. Like, a, let's say, mm -hmm. what, what, uh, I mean, you said it, right? Like, we seem to have a lot of female Korean writers working on TV shows, mm -hmm. dramas, right? Mm -hmm. But then with the exception of some thriller shows, mm -hmm. they only write about women, they only write about mothers, they only yes. write about mothers-in-laws. It's like they get typecast to write the same materials again and again. Mm. Um, and then some of the other sort of uh, action dramas or other genres are always just given to male writers or directors. You know, like it's... it's it, yeah, it's, that's funny too. So the decision yeah. makers do it that way? Like they, they are gendering genre. So that's what they're doing? I think so. I think so. So action is like a male driven from their point of view, right? So... <laughs> Uh, but I created a structure that sort of should be told from the female perspective. Yeah. Um, and then she gets to empower herself in her own way in that framework. But then even then, that's not enough because the love interest or the male action figure in that story has to be as significant. How could I solve that problem without... I mean, I don't think they're just talking about giving him more action scenes. I think... Mm. They, they want more uh, emotional engagement, like, you know, with him as well, right? So um, I, I kept going back to fix some of the settings and then it didn't work. I'm sticking to my original intent somehow, mm -hmm. uh, but by sort of uh, changing some of the backstories and some of the structures in the first two episodes, hopefully uh, they could be okay with this, but I don't know. Right. Do you have to get into it like a new frame of mind when or try to embody like a woman when you're writing from a female protagonist perspective? No, I do a lot of research and my uh, assistant writers are all female oh. and then uh, from different age group uh, just mm. to sort of uh, learn about their speech patterns and et cetera, et cetera. Speech patterns, interesting. And uh, and then talk a lot. I mean, in in the beginning, uh, I talked a lot about. We talked a lot about um, this character's lives. You know, like uh, especially female characters. Um, I think I have a pretty good idea of what this those some of this male, uh, like a, like a you know, action driven characters should do. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, that that type of research is necessary because especially in Korea, the uh, I mean, we're not supposed to follow the trend, but they do, and we should kind of think about those things, right? Like, so mm -hmm. when when some show has become a big hit, and then oh, what makes this show successful? What what was different about it? Even though it was told from that same exact male, male dominant framework, mm -hmm. um, so I do more broader research that way too. But then specifically mm -hmm. to get more engaged, you know, with the female voices, I have to somehow find my sort of roles and I've been just watching a lot of uh, interviews of real life characters close to that age uh, mm -hmm. of the protagonist and uh, but then also I have to reinvent you know 
this fictional character on top of that because mm -hmm. there's always that certain you know desire in me that I actually want to create something different too as a writer. Of course. Not just to repeat what's been done. Mm -hmm. So I think in the end, I think the setting of the story, um, I think I think it'll be good. I think for whoever mm. plays this role, uh, it'll be a good experience for the female, uh, you know, actor. So there's like a, a writer's room of some sorts then, because like in my head, I I imagined like there's a writer, and then uh, she has like one assistant writer, like that's how I pictured it. But I guess you have like a writer's room of some sort, and I'm wondering like what that what the job description's like or. I mean, in Korea, like Europe, uh, we don't have writer's room. Mm. Um, so usually like a main writer writes the whole thing. But mm -hmm. then uh, it's very common practice to have at least two assistant writers mm -hmm. who could help the main writer uh, with the research. And sometimes mm -hmm. like, you know, like uh, I give them assignments too, like to work on the mm -hmm. characters mm -hmm. uh, to see what they could bring. Uh, or just to double check to see what what I'm missing. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's more fluid. It's not as struct. It's not structured like a writer's room, but it's more right. fluid. And I'm still leading the uh, the journey uh, right. as a main writer. But um, partly also because uh, I lived in the states for so long, and, and so that I think I want to make sure they sound believable as well. So some right. of those uh, specific things I ask my assistant writers to sort of watch, you know. Uh-huh. Okay. Got it. Um, no, okay. That's really interesting. Because um, I remember, like, when you were guest in our classroom, you did say that, like, you know, the Korean TV industry is similar to the Hollywood TV industry in that the writers will have more power, right? Like, like more or less showrunner status like Hollywood we have showrunners like if you say showrunner like they're the head honcho like the director you're like you are not right so um like do would you say that Korea is somewhat adopting this showrunner mentality or do you think just the writers just always did have the most power or final say when it came to tv writing I think um like a writer's role for TV shows. I mean, TV genre as a medium, it's always been uh, a writer's medium uh, compared to film, which is a director's medium. Um, I don't know who decided that, but... <laughs> you know, like when you're on a set for a movie, like even directors don't welcome you. Some of them are so insecure that they don't want any writers around. And then on the spot, if they have to change some dialogue, you know, actors and director can discuss it and then just change it, right? Right. Um, but probably by then I'm already on to another film project. So I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, if it gets made, it gets made. I'm turning right. it off. But TV, I get uh, involved with like a, even like a, you know, when they read the screenplays, you know, writers often present. Uh, in Korea especially and then mm -hmm. I don't think they do uh, they become the role like they take up the role of uh, showrunner mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I mean there'll be like a producers working acting as showrunners for the piece but mm -hmm. in terms of some of the uh, uh, core issues involving casting or uh, specific directions if I have something to say like they really sort of respect uh, or like pay attention to what writers have to say 
Uh, and of course, if you are uh, like a big like A-level TV writer in Korea, mm -hmm. I mean, you become the god or goddess, right? Like Kim Eun-hee, Kim Eun-suk. Right, like a, it's like a, so you can do like a kapjil. They'll put up with it, you know. Like a... <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think it's cool what you do. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think, I mean, you know, I com comedians are also writers, of course, and like academics are writers, of course. Yeah. And re writing requires a certain discipline, I think. Do you have like a writers? morning ritual or anything writer's habits morning ritual is like me going to bed because i'm I'm, a, I'm i'm such a night owl uh -huh. that um it's just a habit that i cannot change somehow so you write at night but i write at night my brain somehow I, I just wake up at night um yeah and um but then i go through these periods of time where like i like really immerse myself into it and then take a few days off and then usually mm -hmm. I uh, that's when I teach and then go uh -huh. jump right back in and um, when I have this like intense deadlines back to back um, sometimes I have multiple projects you know like a film project yeah. for instance yeah. then it's uh, it's draining uh, but uh, rewarding I guess when I complete each project so that's cool um, I have this friend who's a he's Korean American He's gay. He lives in LA. He's a screenwriter. And he's been writing forever. He has several screenplays. Um, he goes through like the whole, you know, like NBC has like writers programs and like, you know, the Academy has like writers programs. Like he's been through them. He keeps getting discouraged because I don't know, it just hasn't worked out for him yet. And, you know, of course, this is a waiting game. Oftentimes in L.A., there are so many writers, you know. Um, but I don't know, like, what would you say to people like him who feel as though they're the reason why their success hasn't happened yet is because of their marginal status, because they're Asian and they're male, because they're Asian and they're gay, because they're, you know, um, yeah, like they feel like these kinds of uh identities are road blockages to them i mean i don't know like what would you say to somebody like that i would say i mean i have a i have a student uh i mean she graduated like a couple of years ago and then she was born in korea speaks fluent korean she was raised in i think vietnam and then in mm. new york queens and then wow. she studied uh at, at tish uh dramatic writing um at a grad uh, program mm -hmm. and then uh, we had a conversation uh, a while ago so she asked me about her career path um, in some ways like her situation was similar to me because uh, her Korean is fluent mm -hmm. and then she moved to the US after she I think when she was in high school I guess mm -hmm. um, that's rough so I told her what my experience was like uh, back in like early 2000s. Um, only projects that people want to hire Asian writers for back then, well, a lot, like, you know, 
probably my experience is limited, so they, this might not be true, but I think it's true. <laughs> it has, um, mm -hmm. uh, like a, let's say, action f story with some kung fu element, mm -hmm. or like a typical, like Asian cliches, right? Like a, This was in the 2000s, you're saying? To, early 2000, 2002, 2003. So, um, and then they saw me as a sort of international Asian writer, which I was. You know, I was an international Asian writer because I was not an American yet. Mm. Um, so I struggled a bit, but then uh, some of the other scripts that I wrote mm -hmm. were rec once they were recognized. I saw the possibility where, like, oh, I could actually write mm -hmm. uh, in Korea, you know, like or other mm. places in Asia. Mm -hmm. uh, so I sort of didn't limit myself in. You know, in that sort of Hollywood. bubble, Hollywood bubble. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in your friend's case, uh, if he was not born in Korea, if he was born mm -hmm. here as a uh, yep. Asian American, yep. um, I also understand it's so easy to sort of like to think that, right? Like, oh, is it because of me? Is it because I'm Asian? Right. Or is it because I'm gay? Right. Uh, feeling that you know mm -hmm. he's not marginalized. But I think. Um, the reality, I would say, I mean, there might be some truth to that, I would say, mm -hmm. but at the same time, uh, still, if you look at the writer's pool, mm -hmm. right, like a, if you look at just like a, like a young writers, right, mm -hmm. starting out, I will still say majority of them are white male writers. Mm. So they might get, like more of them might get hired, but in, but the, the, the truth is, uh, like a, they're in a more competitive place if you want to sort of categorize writers that way just purely based on race mm. which i try not to do anymore because mm -hmm. uh it's it's just too depressing <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but i think um so there must there might be some truth to it but i think he just has to be patient because mm. um it's unusual for somebody to get there like a sort of big pain gig like uh, right away mm -hmm. um, it takes like years sometimes even longer so it, it's like you know like a like any other uh, art field it's mm -hmm. highly competitive and um, but then when something works out like a, my former student like a, she went back to Korea mm -hmm. she applied for the Korean government some kind of fund Mm. Uh, that helps like uh, discover like a new writer's voices. And then she got that deal. And then mm. the script she worked on during the time got bought right away. So now she's mm. she has another Korean film project and then she's going to be working on a TV show. And because she's fluent in English too, probably like, mm -hmm. a, like me, like she'll be working on more international mm -hmm. projects. Who knows, she might be back here working mm -hmm. on... Uh, uh, America-based international shows, like something mm. like that. So I think it all depends on um, how you get there. And so everybody's path is different. So there's no right. fixed way yeah. Of, yeah. of getting there. But I think um, I really believe in this. If you have a very good script samples, mm -hmm. um, like a two or three, like really mm -hmm. good scripts, mm -hmm. um, they will get discovered. Mm. Maybe not right away, uh, but when you meet like the right people at the mm -hmm. right place at the right time, I think they will get dis discovered. Yeah. Okay, that's helpful, and I, and I think you said a lot of like wise things there. You know, it's like not only just the 
maintaining the right perspective, right? Like trying not to s- dwell on the depressing aspect, the aspect that you can't control, like your and identity. And also like stop blaming yourself. Right. It's not about you. Yeah. Yeah. It takes just one person to discover your script. Right. You just haven't met the person yet. Yeah. So it's like, you know, the old adage I keep on hanging on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. like every therapist's poster. Yeah. Okay. I think that's helpful. I appreciate that. But I think that. it's a... I tell my students all the time, like if they speak only English, then uh, like, uh, look at, look, look at, you know, Canada, UK, like Australia, New Zealand, like English speaking, speaking territory, right. like they have their own industries to see what other opportunities you could get. If you speak uh, other languages, then of course, like you got to right. focus, if you, if you can speak Spanish, South America right. and Spain, like, there's so many opportunities out there. Yeah. Um, they might actually need writers who are trained in the US. Yes. Uh, especially for genre pieces, right? Like, I think that's, right. yeah. uh, the world is big. And uh, I mean, I mean, it, it takes time and sometimes money, but uh, you have to be patient. But I think uh, even in LA, there's a strong uh, network of international filmmakers and producers. Right. Just meet everybody, you know, in a way, yeah. like a minority writers are in a good place because uh, that's exactly what happened to me. Like, uh, uh, I won an award and then I was introduced to like one producer and then mm-hmm. two meetings later, I was sitting down with like, uh, John Woo's producer, Terrence, you know, like, uh, mm. cause the community is small. Right. So if you maneuver this, right. It can happen fast. And if you're, yeah, if you're like, a, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When they strike while the iron's hot, it can happen fast. Yeah. Those are good reminders, yeah. yeah. And it, ultimately, it does boil down to perspective and, like, just waiting and believing and knowing that it will happen, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a wacky world out here in L.A. In Hollywood, it's like... <laughs> I mean, whenever writers, like, talk about their life circumstances and career, uh, if they haven't reached that yet, or, like, if they're, in, like, let's say, like, you know, once you're, once you're in the loop... Yeah could be quite stable and nice right uh-huh. but before you get there like people struggle everybody does but yeah i always tell my students like uh, look at actors <laughs> exactly <laughs> i feel so bad for them all the time it's like a i mean now we, we talk about diversity casting more often but certain roles uh i mean the especially like when the budget's big uh the commercial commercial values right like uh, attached to the actors those individuals what can we do if the role is written for white men or black men you know like where could asian actors go you know like uh it's very very limiting in a way it's more limiting than like a Asian writers, because at least, uh, you know, like as a writer, you can write other people's lives, right? Mm-hmm. Like a white, black, Asian, anyone, right? Yeah. But the actor, you're an Asian actor. You could, you sometimes you can only it. play that, right? <laughs> and it's like, when you told me that in the early 2000s, you were working on scripts with like Kung Fu elements, I was just like, oh my God, because, you know, I mean, I study cinema media studies, so I study asian american media history and they were doing that shit like in the 70s 1970s and <laughs> like 
more than 30 years later, they're still doing it. It's like, when when is Hollywood going to let Asians progress onto other things? Like, when are they going to let us move on? Because we have. We have moved on. It's to the point where I... People like I just stopped watching, or I would just watch it, and then like I would get my fill from like Korean dramas, you know, because like, like so many like that's sort of the old saying in Asian American like rights activism, you know, they're like we want to see more of our faces. I'm like, just watch a Korean drama, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what I did, <laughs> and I've been fine. <laughs> I think I think I think uh, the, the 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 boom of Korean uh, film and TV. I mean, China always had a big industry too. They do their own mm-hmm. things, but yeah. um, that also affected um, the the positions of Asian American actors yes. because East Asia, because everybody looks alike, mm. right? So that when they watch like a foreign films, movies made outside Korea, outside Japan, outside China, uh, they prefer white or black actors. Mm. Like a like they want to see Tom Cruise, they want to see Denzel. Um, Who doesn't? Exactly. So 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 um, like a, and then on top of it, Korea specifically. Um, personally, I believe the casting is all about um, sex appeal. Mm. Like uh, when I see an actor on screen, oh, mm-hmm. I want to date that person. Like yeah. a sort of like Man or how woman. Rela- yeah. like yeah. exactly relatable, how relatable that person is to me. Like mm-hmm. like it's an illusion. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, Korea has plenty of Korean actors and actresses that that, that do that, right? Yeah. Uh, so the aest- aesthetics are different too. On top of that, so that like a uh, the way uh, Korean Koreans view Korean American actors, for instance. I mean, Sandra O oh has become very popular, uh, or at least like uh, people know In Korea? about. Like people know about her because of Killing Eve. Oh uh, yeah, that's a good show. But she's not like a big movie star, right? Like she's not Tom Cruise. She's not right. So, um, so the, the the way they like I don't I think there's a little bit of gap between um, how Asian American actors are perceived in America versus in Korea. Like uh, they just uh, what they find dateable what they find sexy it's just different of course because it's different culture Uh, so again again that puts like asian american actors in a sort of like in between places in both places yeah yeah it's like an impossible space almost you know and um like sandra oh first of all side kind of side note on sandra oh sandra oh was like very against uh right (laughs) really (laughs) after she got it Uh killing eve took off fucking Koreans start paying attention to like she changed her kwansang and everything changed like she compromised her own philosophy about the whole, whole sangha pursuit thing and she, that bitch compromised and that bitch succeeded I didn't know she got it oh my god you couldn't tell? I'm like this bitch this hoe got her lids done they look good finally bitch only took you 40 something years to fucking do it you should have done it maybe 20 years ago you would have fucking made it sooner but i was just like yeah um i was just thinking back to like the things that i heard you know growing up because like, i was watching Grey's anatomy in college and you know like people would say like oh you know you remind me of somebody on tv sandra oh i'm like i look nothing like her also in terms of korean standards that bitch ain't that hot okay like have you <laughs> have you seen song Ye-kyo? 
Have you seen Kim Tae-hee? Like, exactly. don't fucking compare me. To, compare me to one of those bitches. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, yeah, the aesthetics and tastes are different in different cultures. Yeah, that's an important thing to acknowledge. It, it's kind of, uh, I mean, it is a sad reality, right? Like, how many years has passed and then somehow we still talk about Sandra Oh and John Cho? Yeah, they're uh, so old! <laughs> You know, and they're like, I mean, you know, they're, they're great. They're great. But, you know, the reality, they like, are oh, legends. Why don't we have they are our, you know, industries. I respect them. I bow. Namaste. But right. I'm ready for new stuff. I'm ready. I'm ready to be on TV. You know what I'm saying? You know, like, you know, I read it. I read an article um, like a few years ago uh, about like, a, I mean, the like the people in art, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a, if you just look at the data, like there's just not a lot of Asian Americans pursuing art. I think it's sort of parenting, I think. There's a sort of conservatism that comes with this Asian parenting in America that like uh, Asians like target like specific majors that could lead them to like a, you know, CPA, good, good careers and, bankers lawyers and doctors and all those like stereotypes we know about asians um in america i think that's in some ways they're more conservative than um asians in asia because like uh, their their upbringing and then their i mean i guess their parents clock stopped in the 70s exactly so that naturally becomes sort of the influence and it comes with paranoia and fear as immigrants you know immigrants are precarious and they're in a constant state of anxiety and panic like they they constantly think that they need to assimilate right now or they'll die you know like that's where their brain is at and if they're high alert like that they're not going to let anybody take any chances even though the fact is studying to become a cpa or a doctor or a lawyer or whatever those are just as risky you know, they're just as risky, you know, and like, yeah, I fucking, yeah, like, I don't know, in my case, I was lucky, like, my parents didn't push that, shove that down my throat. I think they also just realized very soon, like, early on, like, STEM was not going to be my field. Like, I think they knew very early on arts and humanities is where I was where I was going to be headed. So they bought me books, they bought me crayons, like, they were cool in, um, in that regard, and I'm glad that they were. But, um, yeah, the thing is, though, all ultimately you do still have asian american artists all the time like in spite of those kinds of conservative parents and they come out and they battle not only their parents and family members but the rest of american racist society that only sees them as kung fu chinks and gooks you know what i'm saying so like in that regard like i'm like i bow to them i bow to my fellow asian american brothers and sisters who are fighting tooth and nail and try insisting on being an actor or being a screenwriter i'm like yeah do it do it and then if you like uh you know like uh take those acting classes all those plays and screenplays like written for white roles right uh white actors and then if they have to study with those texts mm. that alone is very discouraging right As a, i bet that those moments 100%. make the asian american actors very insecure that's microaggression yeah yeah, so that's um, hopefully things change. But yeah, it's an uphill battle. Not, yeah, not fast enough, but <laughs> it's a hundred percent an uphill battle, 
but you know, I'm I'm in a positive state today because I just came down from the mountains, drank a lot of mountain spring water, you know, did some psychedelics. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling positive. I'm feeling optimistic. I'm open to the universe bringing in the good stuff for me, for you, for all the other Sandra O lookalikes in the United <laughs> States of America. I have um I have these flashcard questions that I do for mm-hmm. each of my podcast episodes. Did you see that Noh Hee-kyung screen, uh, um, TV show on Netflix called Live? No, I haven't. Okay, I figured you have not. So, okay, that's good. It's good that you haven't. Okay, so mm-hmm. let me ask you some flashcard questions. Let's say you're the daughter of a single mother. Your mother suffers from a panic disorder. And so she's like on a form of disability. And... Uh, your father is a man who abandoned you at birth. Like he didn't care about you. And you've been trying to get a job. Okay. So you, you're a woman, you're college educated. You've been trying to get a job. You've been going to these job festivals, but the interviewers are mostly men and they keep asking you sexist questions. Like, what are you going to do when you get married and have a kid? Are you going to just like ditch your position? Um, and he also asks your competitors, there your male competitors questions about their military experience what base were they at who did they serve like showing blatant favoritism through these sexist biased questions and you see this happening in front of you as a woman what do you do assuming this uh, the interview is taking place in korea yeah this is all in korea so first of all um i'm a very rational logical person Uh (laughs) two factors Mm. (laughs) the probability of getting the job i'm talking about my like a track records right Mm. and all those like internships all sorts of things that i've done up to that point and the second my financial circumstances Mm. um Mm -hmm. you find it both Mm -hmm. right like if it's a probability is high and that i need money Um, I wouldn't flag it on the spot, but I will still find ways to uh, answer some of the questions so that at least I could have a chance, you know, to say whatever the other guys are doing, right? Like, so uh, at least I would do that just to close it, but I wouldn't fight it. I wouldn't walk out of it Mm -hmm. if I need the job. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Money always wins. I'm not a... (laughs) Yeah, it, th- th- like a, that interview in that setting, if I really need the job, if the job is good, mm-hmm. um, I'll fight, fight it like when I, after I get the job, but not mm-hmm. in that place. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. But mm-hmm. somehow what happens during the interview affects the way I saw the company. You know what I mean? Imagine like, oh, this is the kind of people that I'll be working with, right? That's extremely negative. Mm-hmm. I would probably just walk away. I would just walk out. Okay. I will still yeah. find a way to sort of make money elsewhere. Like, a, you oh. know, you can teach English, make more money in Korea. <laughs> <laughs> There's always that. You know? For us, that's like our Starbucks. Exactly. Know? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the fun story I have a friend uh, in Korea whose sister used to work for one of those big companies. And her direct boss was a misogynist and like, mm-hmm. you know, like, a, sometimes it's psychological. 
like she, she like after a while she realized like she's doing more work than other men when they go out to drink you know it's like all this unfairness yeah. so one day she was like holding a cop uh like a starbucks coffee yeah she walked up to the boss poured the coffee all over on his computer and then screamed at him and then <gasps> walked out <laughs> and then <laughs> Like There's my friend, my friend, and then her sisters, and then you know the family, whole family, got together, had a really nice meal mm. together, and then she she started her own business, and then she bought. She, now she has an apartment in Apkujam. <laughs> <laughs> you know, bitches made it when they have an apartment in Apkujam. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Good for her. She exactly. did this in Korea? She did this in Korea, yep. Oh years ago, God. years ago, years ago. Badass bitch. Oh my gosh, that's intense. I love that. I know. You know, like, that's the thing. You have to find your own happiness, ultimately. Mm -hmm. You know, like, if you really look deep within, you'll figure out the answers. Like, there is yeah. a way to happiness, and it is on you. you know, I think I think the, the tricky thing is, like, in reality, mm. if you even if you want to fight this, you still have to be in it first. Yeah. Yeah. Which which is not an easy thing, right? Like it's that to begin not. with. You have uh, to be gaslighting yourself all the time. Exactly. And then uh, also like uh, just walking away from it, like you're not going to make any difference. You're missing that opportunity. You could in a way, yeah. uh, no matter how impossible it seems. Mm -hmm. So it's very like a... Uh, you mean uh, speaking tricky. up about those injustices? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think... Um, <sighs> Being a writer, um, in some ways, you could somehow slip that in, you know, like a somehow, or you can specifically write about that if you want. I think in Korea, I think we see more and more sort of like strong female characters that are very vocal. Not only vocal. that, but, yeah. and this I also wanted to ask you, they're increasingly like queer characters in Korean dramas, like especially in the year 2020, they're like everywhere. I mean, they're not the main protagonist for sure. And it's problematic. They're supporting, you know, like they're the queer characters are, are often in like weird s situations. Not always, but, you know, um, sometimes they have a crush on the straight protagonist, which is like obviously going to be unrequited, you know. Um, but it's like cropping up more and more. And I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think the reason for this is? Like, I have one theory, just one guess, and it's. I don't know how it might come off, but let's just give it a stab. Like my guess is um, the LGBTQIA rights and activism in the, in the United States is so like, it's, it's like a model for any kind of rights activism at this point. Cause it's so successful. It's like, they're so, they're so good at organization, marketing, blah, blah, blah. They're amazing. You know, I mean, they're up there with like civil rights movement people. They're like amazing. And, um, you know, it's like, it's become trendy among Gen Zers, particularly among younger people, the, the notion of being queer, non-gender binary. I mean, there's a, a freedom almost, a liberation among um, the queer younger generations here in America, which was like, even up until maybe 20 years ago, that wouldn't have been particularly the case. This is a very new thing. And it's like almost become a trend in and of itself. And there have been instances where they they found cases where like some Gen Z cis 
male boys would just be like, oh, yeah, I am a little gay, you know, just to like kind of fit in because they think like that's like the trendy, cute, hip thing to be, which it is. (laughs) You know, we're all a little queer. Let's admit it. Fucking hell. Yeah. But like they're they're kind of sensing like, oh, like they can be more close with their female friends this way or their girlfriends this way or, you know, like even among guys like it's just like a way of exhibiting their comfort as men to be okay with homosexuality and it's it's fine we're all down we're cool it's all love that kind of thing so i feel like korea which is always like their trend radar is like the sharpest <laughs> it is amazing right it, it, they had to because it was a survivor survival skill right and i feel like they picked up on that trend it's like oh it is cool to be down with the queers you know it is it is cool to be down with lgbtqia rights and activism and they started inserting it more in webtoons and nowadays tv dramas like i see it almost like you know every other drama i don't know what do you think of that that phenomenon Uh, i i i really think that um well first of all i think a lot of those dramas are written by female writers yes I think they are more open to the ideas of this uh, gender, like, I mean, sexuality, all that stuff, mm. like equality in general, right. uh, like not as resist- resistant, right, like, mm. like compared to male writers mm-hmm. who all went to, like, uh, you know, army, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and so, but I think what changed was, um, I would say about 10, 15 years ago, I, I remember seeing some TV commercials or like a fashion magazine spreads mm-hmm. with sort of like a female, like a models or like actresses with like a gay characters. That that mm-hmm. that picture, like a sort of like a maybe it's a sort of hip New York thing to do to have a gay friend, gay best mm-hmm. friend. Um, so it was very shallow. It was just about the trend. Uh, but what changed though was that. Um, even before Netflix uh, took off in Korea, there's a lot of, like, there's a huge number of people, like, uh, you know, especially amongst the young people that are obsessed with American TV shows. Mm. So as we in America started producing more shows mm-hmm. with gay characters, naturally mm-hmm. they traveled and were right. viewed by many people in Korea too. And yes, then yes. after Netflix arrived, things got even more accelerated. Um, so I don't think they're necessarily copying American mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. but I think uh, because so many people are watching them mm-hmm. already with yeah. subtitles, right. so that I think they've reached a point where like sort of maybe it's okay to have at least one or two characters like that here and there. Right. Uh, for that to become the mainstream, um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how many years it's going to take to get there. I feel uh, like it'll be soon though. But um, it has to be something very specific, like a Brokeback Mountain. You know what I mean? Like a, <laughs> it's, it's going to be more like an event. I don't think it's going right. to feel natural. You know what I mean? Yes. It's like this is the homo show of the year in Korea. Like they have right. to label it and market it as that. The gayest show. The <laughs> yeah. most lesbian show. You know? And then it's like, because like I saw a search WWW and that show is like super lesbian it's not like you know they're they're not showing women like smooching and like you know literally yeah. like coupling up but it is super lesbian you know it's right. like very much there 
you know and um i'm just like god just just be like these bitches are dykes you know just let them just let them have it (laughs) it's like that's how thin the veil is to cover up that this is a, a queer show it's almost like this is pointless you know it's like putting tissue paper over something but then next morning you, you you read a newspaper and then there's an article about this transgender soldier who committed suicide it's like like a when's it gonna stop i know yeah yeah i mean the military situation in korea does factor in like a huge component of that you know like the militarism the hyper masculinity yeah. the paranoia all of that that that's all interrelated yeah i agree with you until that ends this isn't gonna end that means war needs and then to end. and then a presence of a father figure in every drama or film like so if you mm-hmm. look at movies like sung Ho, right mm-hmm. if you take out like a song jung character entirely mm-hmm. and then just re-edit it as a kim terry as a female protagonist it mm-hmm. still works <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, he still works. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> but why they have to, there? they have to yeah. have a male protagonist who has become I... the father figure with the backstory involving him being a father. It's like they have to put that all in there too. Maybe sort of... you know, maybe these um, network decision makers are they are they themselves gay? You know, maybe, maybe. they should ask themselves that. Maybe they're gay. <laughs> maybe. That's why they're so hung up on these hot, pretty boys. You know, <laughs> it's like y'all are all homo. You know, you want to hide the homo, but like, y'all are deep in the closet. Like, just come out, <laughs> come out and play. We don't bite. It's fun. It's good. All right. Let me ask you a couple more flashcard questions. Mm-hmm. And then our mutual friend, Thomas Booker has a question for you. So we'll end okay. on that. But um, let's say you're a grown man. You're in your late twenties. Uh, you're working an unpaid internship in some water supply company. And you put all of your savings into this company's stocks. Because that's like a requirement in the job. And you made your mom and your older brother also put their entire... Sa- you already know where this is going. Yeah. One day you come to work and realize that you've been scammed. The company's been dissolved. You lost all of your money, your whole family savings. All of it is gone. What do you do? Oh, my God. Are we talking about Korea? Are we talking about the U.S.? Of course it's Korea. It's like branded as Korea. <laughs> If it's uh, U.S., I would say I'll join the army. But um... <laughs> okay. I'm gonna kill the bitches. Uh, <laughs> but in Korea, that might actually put me into a very dark place. Mm. That might inspire the sequel to The Chaser. <laughs> <laughs> you know when chaser came out i was in korea on a fulbright in 2009 and i was like mm-hmm. it was on tv all the time i was living in mapo at the time mm-hmm. every night when i walked home i was just terrified mm-hmm. and everybody around me they're like you're in korea like the safest place i'm like have you seen the chaser i do not feel safe <laughs> at night ever <laughs> That movie scared the bejesus out of me. Um, anyway, great. Um, okay. Let me ask you. Um, I don't know. Let me find a good one. All right. Let's say you're a police officer. Okay. Mm-hmm. You recently got hired. You know, you're like a junior, junior ranking, right? You have a crush on a fellow woman police officer, right? Mm-hmm. But one day you see your sunbae kissing her. 
What do you do? Is he married? <laughs> <laughs> he's not like, unfortunately i mean that would have been some good drama but he's if, not. if he's not married oh, stakes are not high enough but anyway uh yeah, it's, not, it's just a crush if it's just a crush i'll let it pass really you're just gonna let it go huh not a fighter i'll let it go yeah. <laughs> i'm a realist i'm a realist you, you know are. me i'm a realist <laughs> Yeah, you're very pragmatic. Yeah, you're too pragmatic. You wouldn't be able to write a good mahjong if you do this. No, you no, have to take it no. to the other level. Okay, fine. All right, good. All right, let me ask you the question that our buddy Thomas asked because it was so interesting. Like right when I was texting you, he texted me too. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is what he he says: Say hi to Shino. Ask him why he is secretly in love with so many older women. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, of all the scripts that I wrote, I mean, of course, not all of them get made into films, right? Mm -hmm. But my favorite scripts all have like older middle-aged women mm -hmm. as the protagonists. Um, I don't know why. I have like a... Oh. Korean marrow strip living inside of me. I don't yeah. know what it is. I don't know what yeah. it is. <laughs> you have a kudushim inside of you. I know. And then like, <laughs> even like a stories in, like about motherhood or, you know, like a movies like that. Like, uh, yeah. I, I, I get, I get really emotionally affected by it. Wow. Uh, it's not like I, I have a mother complex or like, right. my mom is fine. You know, <laughs> I mean, you say you don't have a mother complex, you know, let your psychiatrist decide that. <laughs> But, okay, yeah, you don't have hang-ups about your mother, but... Mm. But I think maybe, um, maybe because I'm Korean, I would say, mm. no matter how Americanized I am, uh, the part of me, a like, big part of me is still Korean. And I think, uh, especially if you're a Korean man, mm. your relationship with your mom is like very tight, <laughs> uh, very, very... Uh, yeah. Similar to, uh, uh, you know, Jewish American families or like, you know, uh -huh. like Greek families, like the tightness between mm -hmm. the bond between mothers and sons. Mm -hmm. Luckily, I don't think I'm, I became uh, mama's boy, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but there is always that sort of um, uh, that the like uh, there's something about motherhood like within the culture, maybe yeah. that this is like this sounds more like rational like assessment of it, but. Yeah. Uh, I remember um, when I remember this, like when we first met. Yeah. Like uh, uh, we're talking about like uh, getting feedback, right? Yeah. Like so, when I write a screenplay, uh, I mean, like you know, some of the works I'm not supposed to like, you know, mm -hmm. send it to other people. So contractually, I can't. Mm -hmm. uh, but but personally, sometimes just to get some notes on it, like I mm -hmm. ask a friend or like assistant writer in this case, particularly you know specifically about this TV show. But uh, some of the screenplays, like I always like uh, send them to my mom uh, because I she remember. watches everything. She watches everything, and because uh, for me. Uh, and she's very like uh, instinctively clever. So if she doesn't get it, mm -hmm. right, then that forces me to question it. Like, uh, oh, what did I miss? Right. Like, mm -hmm. but also 
to me the relationship between your characters and the audience that invisible relationship is yes. quite important especially if you're writing a genre pictures yeah um so f she's become my sort of reader personally personal reader that way uh but i don't think that has anything to do with me sort of like being obsessed <laughs> with middle-aged women but, <laughs> but then but the, when i watch this movie have you seen two of us I don't think so. The French language film uh, directed by Italian director mm. uh, about these two old ladies in love. Mm. Uh, I was really moved by mm. it. Like, I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know what, what, that, what that is. I guess that's some, this is something that I have to like <laughs> discover, analyze like yeah, own. analyze yeah. for the rest Meditate. of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's cool. I like that. Yeah, I do remember you saying that you were like, um, I write screenplays that my mom will be able to understand, you know, mm -hmm. and that's how I access my audiences. And I'll say, oh, that's that's really beautiful. I like that. You write for the mother's gaze. That's great. Right. <laughs> I love that. Um, sweet. Thank you so much for talking with me. It's always oh, you're welcome. I always have such a great time catching up with you and chatting with you. You know, like I like our suda. I yeah. enjoy that. Next exactly. time we'll do it with a little, you know. Yes. And a little. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, I'm going to talk about a really delightful show called Hello, My Twenties. I call it a delightful show because it's a very realist show, but it's also hilarious. And email me if you have any questions or if you if you want to say some nice words to me. You can email me at kdramaschool at gmail.com. You can follow me on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can like this uh, page on Facebook as well. You could definitely subscribe to the YouTube channel, K Drama School. That would be helpful. Uh, but, folks, this was an intense episode. Um, it's because I am going through an intense episode. I always do whenever I come back home. But all of this is a good thing. It means big things are about to happen. So, let's stay alert. All right. Thank you for listening. See you guys next week.